Uh, for myself, it, it was it has been remarkable uh, once again just how many times that that God has has taught me something or retaught me something that I would need in like really short order after He taught me, whether it was through a course or reading my Bible or other devotional study or reading or whatever. There are many times where where I was challenged or reminded of of my own identity in Christ and my own limitations as pastor, father, husband, all the things. Uh, and to just give those things to God, and then I needed to be re- needed that in often within a day or two of okay, God, I I'll do my part, but I've got to hand this other stuff to you because it's it's not mine. Uh, so God was really good uh, in that way. Uh, for the life of our church, a number of things that I do want to highlight as we look back. Uh, we had three baptisms this year, which is the most that we've had since I've been here, which is amazing. It's fantastic. Uh, we had a number of, of new people uh, move to the Bow Valley and join our church and be a part of it and have become engaged, and we're thankful for all of you. Uh, we were able to have uh, a number of outdoor services, which is great. And as we talk about God's grace and his mercy, we didn't get rain on any one of those. And, you know, the weather can change in an instant, but God was good and kept the rain away. Uh, we were able to have a, a couple of family meals, even church family meals, where we gathered in big groups and sat around tables and spent time together, and it was fantastic. Uh, we had uh, the problem, if you look around now, maybe you may not believe it, but it's true, the problem of too many kids in the room, and how do we engage and, and draw our kids in and, and encourage them and, and teach them in, in, in a way that's meaningful and appropriate for them, and, and that's a great problem to have to wrestle through, and we have been working on that. Uh, we were able to, uh, as I mentioned, run a kids camp. It was the first uh, kind of Bible camp, church camp that had been run, as far as I know, anywhere in the Bow Valley since about 2018. Uh, the first one that we have hosted, again, at least since I've been here, since 2017. And we had a number of kids from the community come out as well, who uh, one brother and sister took their first Bible home. Uh, another had never heard the name of Jesus before, but somebody met them in front of the red building on Main Street, that which maybe we know as the Anglican Church, handed them an invitation and said, your kids should go to this, or your little one should go to this. And he came. And it was fantastic. It was great to have him. Uh, I've been encouraged by the number of, of, of groups and, and outside of Sunday things that, that happen here, whether it's Bible studies or, or hiking groups or, or hikes or biking or skiing or all the things that we're just getting together outside of Sunday morning and encouraging one another. Uh, we hosted a, a marriage seminar back in, I think it was May, uh, where we were trying to build and invest in our marriages because we believe that a strong marriage is a, is a good thing, a benefit to our families and to our community. We were able to host a, a grief share and surviving the holidays. Kay hosted that for us. Uh, numbers aren't everything. And so when I, when I say number, don't, don't hear like, well, we were this number, so we want 5% more next year. But uh, for the weekends that we have, uh, data for, we averaged around 72, 73 people plus 13 volunteers on a Sunday. So there were, there were also many Sundays where we were well over 100. Uh, we peaked uh, on Easter Sunday at 144. Uh, we, that's, that's two full rooms. Obviously, two services, 144 in this room at one time is like sardines, and it would be amazing worship, but we would uh, smell. <clears throat> and we would probably, I joked about this in the first two, if we put 144 in this room together at one time, we'd probably end up worshiping in the basement because we're not so sure about these floor joists once you get over, uh, we'll say like 140, <clears throat> right? 
Uh, Christmas Eve was a highlight too. We, we hosted it up at, at Silvertip on uh, Saturday night. Uh, first time in a couple of years we've done that, and we had somewhere between about 175 and 195 people up there as well. Uh, something that is no small blessing for churches as I, as I interact with other pastors and other ministry leaders, uh, we have been able to maintain a strong financial position that allows us to plan for uh, and dream about expanding in the future. So God is good. He has been good. He continues to be good. And he will, will be good into the future. Now, every year we, we dedicate usually, usually the last service of the year, but the way the Sundays fell, this kind of turns into the first service of the new year, I guess. But we dedicate the last service of the year to be doing what we've just done, to look back at the year and to hear from more voices than just mine of how God has been good, how God has been faithful, the way we've seen God at work. And there's a number of reasons that we do that. And the first is just to slow down and remember. I don't know about you, but we even had the conversation in my house, I think it was last night, where my son said, man, it feels like Christmas should be next Sunday. Like, it's just, how is it already New Year's? And it just seems to be part and parcel with the season, right? It just kind of comes up, maybe sneaks up a little bit on you. The school calendar went a bit late this year, so all of a sudden they're off on Friday and Christmas is whatever. It's just, and so it's really easy now to rush into the New Year and get on with the next thing. We want to deliberately and intentionally take a breath slow down and look back and remind ourselves of what God's done. Another reason we do this is because we, like the people of Israel in the Bible, we are a forgetful people. We need to stop and remind ourselves, all of us remind ourselves, that God is still faithful, that God is still at work, that God is, his kingdom is still growing, and we get to be a part of that. We also do that because sometimes we have doubts. I don't know, when, when I hit hard seasons, sometimes it's really easy for me to just get bogged in, hemmed in, fenced over by, by the hard stuff that I'm in, and it can seem like God has left me alone. Maybe God's forgotten me. Maybe God just quit working in my life. And if I stay in that sphere, it's not healthy. So I need you to remind me, God's at work. God's still working. Here's how I see God having worked in you, all the things. And so we have this Sunday morning to remind one another that even in our doubting, we can point one another back to Jesus. And finally, it, I, I believe it is an evangelistic service. If you are exploring faith or Jesus or listening or watching later, I, I'm so glad you're here and tuning in. I hope that this morning, as you hear story after story of God working in big ways, in little ways, in the, in the small details, in the big details, in, in, in all kinds of different ways, in all kinds of different people's lives, that maybe you start to think, they can't all be crazy, right? They, 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 can't, they can't all be wrong, can they? And maybe just continue to explore faith just a little bit more. And so I hope that you keep exploring Jesus asking questions. And I would love you to meet this Jesus. And here's the thing that I, that I hope, hope you've heard this morning, is that Jesus is worth it. When Jesus came up to his first followers and he said to them, follow me, he wasn't just asking them to add something to their already busy lives, but he was calling them out of their current lives and into a life that was radically different than the life they were leaving at the time. And they gave up all kinds of things. They walked away from homes and families and careers and, 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 and futures, all to follow Jesus. And it was worth it. 
And Jesus' call today isn't any different. In Matthew chapter 4, as he launches into his ministry, Jesus calls people by saying, Repent, turn from your ways, the way that you're living in this world, and follow me, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. And so he's, he's calling us to put our whole trust in him. That's, that's getting off the edge and into the deep end of the pool. And I, and I don't think necessarily that there is one right or one wrong way to get into the deep end of the pool. It might look like we were at the pool not too long ago and, and the Wibbit thing was up. Has anyone seen the Wibbit at the, at the pool? Got a couple nods. So it's this inflatable, slippery obstacle course that you go in one side and you come out the other, <laughs> the deep end of the other. And their kids love it and they want to go with mom and dad. And, you know, mom and dad love their kids, so away we go. <laughs> And sometimes you, you can get across these obstacles and get to the end and just gently slide off the side at the end into the end and swim to the side. Sometimes dad chases his kid around and on the little thing he slips off the side and goes in sideways, right? Sometimes you get in the deep end that way. Sometimes you go head first off the end when you're not expecting to and you're in the deep end. There's no, I don't think there's a right or wrong way. Sometimes you ease yourself in and, and hold on to it and say, okay, Jesus, I want to trust you. This is hard. And then we push off. And we trust him. Sometimes it's like slipping off the whippet and you go in head first, full body, away you go, and you're in with Jesus. But let me tell you, however you get to being with him, trusting in him, he's worth it. We've just come out of a Christmas season where we celebrated Jesus as the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. And on Christmas Eve, we reminded one another that no one expected Jesus to come the way that he came. And no one expected Jesus to live the way that he lived. And no one expected Jesus to die the death that he died or be raised from the dead three days later. But he did all those things. And he did it for you. And he did it for me. And we can have a full confidence in what he has done for us. And so this morning, I want to challenge you to take that next step of confidence, that next step of obedience, and put more and more of your hope and trust in Jesus. If you have a Bible, and I hope that you do, you can open with me uh, to Hebrews chapter 10. And we're just going to sort of parachute into a, a section in the middle. Uh, I'm just going to pick up reading for us at verse 19, Hebrews 10, 19. The writer of Hebrews says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have the boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, that he has inaugurated for us this new and living way to enter through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. And let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Or sort of parachuting into a passage here that's maybe familiar, maybe it's not familiar. And it starts with a therefore, and if you've heard me speak for any number of time, you know that whenever we read therefore, we ask, what's the therefore, therefore? And so since we're parachuting in, you'll have to trust me, that the therefore is pointing back to the beginning of this chapter and earlier in the book of Hebrews, where the writer is, is, is really drilling down and diving into the once-for-all aspect of the gospel, that Jesus did his work once, and that's it. 
Because of Jesus, we don't need the Old Testament sacrificial system to come to God anymore. We don't need the priestly order to come to God anymore. Jesus did all the work. And so, therefore, we have a couple of implications of Jesus' good work. And the first is this, verse 19, we get to enter into the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus. Now, this is pointing back to the Old Testament, to the, the, the part of the tabernacle and then the temple, of where, which was the Holy of Holies, the place where God dwelt with his people. And back in the temple times and the tabernacle times, nobody was allowed into that area except for the high priest once a year. And they tied a rope around his ankle just in case as he entered the presence of God, him being a sinful priest and God being a holy God killed him. This, the sin, he just died. And so they tied a rope on his ankle so they could pull him out just in case. So they wouldn't have to leave somebody in there for a year until the next year when the next high priest could go. That's how, how closed off the presence of God was. Because sin cannot be in the presence of a holy God. But Jesus, look what he accomplished. We can boldly enter the presence of God because of Jesus' work. Think of a throne room. We don't, we don't have a king. We have government, but we'll leave there. Think about uh, the, the king's household back maybe in Bible times. Or, or if you think about uh, maybe the story of Esther, if you're familiar with that, where, where if you entered the king's room and he hadn't summoned you, if he decided, done, your life's over. That's the authority, the power, and sort of the, I don't know, maybe the pr- protection that the king had. But look how we can enter into the presence of our king now. Boldly. You know who got to, the only person that got to enter into the king's throne room boldly in those days? Kids. Right? The king's kids. Maybe. Hopefully. Probably. It's like, my daughter's eight, and she still just wants snuggles. Right? It doesn't matter what's going on. It doesn't matter what I'm doing. She will boldly run up Throw her arms in the air and say, Dad, pick me up. Give me an up hug. Right? That's, that's the invitation we have to the throne room, to boldly interrupt the king. He's not too busy for us, but to come and approach his throne because of the work of Jesus. One commentator says, Without Jesus' blood, there is no access to God. There is no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. Just as the Old Covenant and the Old Testament required blood sacrifices, so too does the New Covenant require a blood sacrifice. But the final and effective blood sacrifice came not through the blood of an animal shed on an altar, but through the blood of God's own Son shed on the cross. Because of Jesus, we can enter the presence of God. The second implication that we'll look at is that we can enter with true hearts and full assurance Because of his work on the cross, because of Jesus' work on the cross, we can draw near to God with a heart and full assurance of faith. This is one thing that sets Christianity apart from every other world religion. Because of Jesus, we can boldly walk into the presence of God and be certain that our sins are forgiven. There's no getting to the end of our life and hoping beyond all hope that we've we've done enough good things to outweigh the bad. There's no task list that if we just check off enough things, if I read my Bible enough, if I go on a pilgrimage, if I do enough good works, then God has to let me in. There's none of that. Because of Jesus, we have access. And only because of Jesus. 
And the New Testament again and again assures Christians that we can know that we are saved. Not perfect, but saved. John writes in 1 John 5, I've written this letter to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Also in verse 22, it says, because of Jesus' work, therefore we can enter with clean hearts. Not just a, a ceremonial external washing, but, but the work of Jesus can clean our consciences and purify our hearts and so we can trust in Jesus' work. That means when we go through hard times, we don't have to doubt in his work. It's good. When the Bible asks us to do something that culturally seems hard, it's worth it. And when the Holy Spirit pokes at, prods, and points out sin in our lives because it's all there, it's for our benefit. It's for our good so that we can be transformed and grow into the people God wants us to be. So look at how the writer of Hebrews continues in verse 23. So then let us hold tightly without wavering to this hope that we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. It was kind of this section of this verse that I read a, a couple of weeks ago. I think that was like, this is going to be the looking back text. Because God can be trusted to keep his promises. Because we have the confidence and assurance, we hold on tightly, or a translation might say we hold fast, or we cling to that hope that we have. And what is that hope? The hope is that Jesus is Lord and Jesus saves. That's the core of Christianity. That's where our hope comes from. That's where our identity comes from. That's where our meaning and purpose come from. That Jesus is Lord and Jesus alone saves. And so we cling to him and we hang on to his promises. But at the risk of hanging on by just our own efforts and our own works, we are reminded that we don't hang on by our own strength, but by God's faithfulness. Al Mohler writes this, he says, We will persevere until the end because God does not abandon his children. God has proved faithful to his promises throughout Scripture. And Jesus affirmed the Father's faithfulness in John 6, 37, where he says, Everyone the Father has given me will come to me. And the one who comes to me I will never cast out. No one who comes to Christ can ever be snatched out of his hand. God's power guards his children. And then the writer of Hebrews shifts, shifts to kind of the present time, giving us a couple of essential instructions on how we hold fast, how we cling tightly, how we hold on to. Look at verse 24. He says, Then let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Remember that this isn't the works get us love, but because Jesus has done his work on the cross, and therefore, because of Jesus' work, we have access to God, and we have the love of God. We've been adopted into his family. We are his kids that can run into the throne room and jump on the king's lap and say, Daddy, give me snuggles. Because of that, let's think about how we can stir up or spur one another on towards love and good deeds. It goes on, not neglecting to meet together, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. See, we cannot persevere in this alone. We can't. We need one another. We need times like today where we gather together and we tell one another stories of how God has been faithful in the past. 
And we need to be together to remind one another of how God is good and what he has done and what he continues to do. And so no matter how introverted you are, no matter how self-assured you are, no matter how autonomous or independent you think that you are, you desperately need the body of believers. You desperately need to be a part of the local church. We're called to bring out the best in one another, to stir one another up, to spur one another on, to provoke love and good works. These are all great imageries. And let me, let me admit, I'm an Alberta boy, born, bred, Albertan, happy to be here. I'm not a rancher. I'm not a farmer, though that's in my blood, and I'm not a rodeo guy. I understand the stampede happens in Calgary, but in the seven years we lived there, we escaped Calgary for stampede week six out of the seven years. But I understand, having watched Confession Time, 15 seasons of Heartland with my wife, (laughs) waiting for season 16 to hit Netflix, I understand how a spur works. Okay, I've seen there's enough rodeo scenes with Tim and Caleb and all the guys that, uh, and what's her name? The, the girl rodeo. What's her name? It's a J. It's a man. This is confession time. No one else is watching Heartland. Darn it. It'll come to me at about 1 o'clock. Ah, it's this. When they're spurring those horses to get them to do what they want to do, it's not always pleasant, right? I don't think it would feel great to have a pointy metal thing dug into your hindquarters. So maybe just use this as a metaphor, as an image. Don't walk around with something pointy and poke Arnie and say, Arnie, love and good deeds, right? But we've got, we get the picture. And all of this is just an outflow of Jesus' work in us. It's because of what Jesus has done that we gather together and that we are called to bring out the best in one another to actively, to verbally stir one another up, to, to spur one another on, to provoke one another towards living out this faith that Jesus has given us, to love and good works. And we do this, in order to do this, we have to be in one another's company. And this includes Sunday mornings, of course, this is a, a huge part of that, but it isn't exclusively Sunday mornings either. Whenever we find time to gather together, to make time to be with one another. We look for opportunities to worship and pray together and encourage one another. We can do that here on Sunday morning, and I hope we do. I hope that there are are dozens of conversations every Sunday morning when we gather of, hey, what's God been up to in your life? How can I pray for you? How can I encourage you? How can we take the grace of God out to our town this week? We can do that here. We can also do it on the chairlift. We can do it on the ski hill. We can do it on the ski trails. We can do it in the pool. We can do it in one another's homes. We can do it in the coffee shop or the restaurant or anywhere else. And there's some strong language here in this verse that's basically saying, if you don't do this, if you're not spurring one another on, if you're not gathering together, if you're not provoking one another towards loving good deeds, you are actively choosing to cut yourself off from the way Jesus feeds his church and the way Jesus protects his people. You're deciding I don't need what Jesus has said. So if we say, I can do this on my own, we are actively defying the command of Christ to gather. Now, these days, especially these days, with the advent of the internet and YouTube and podcasting apps and all the things, I am well aware that by 
2 o'clock this afternoon, you could find maybe a thousand other sermons from this morning from communicators that are more gifted than me, that have more Bible knowledge than me, that have all the things. And I'm good with that. And I know that by 2 o'clock this afternoon, it'll be a little bit harder, but you'll be able to find a hundred other worship leaders that can lead better than Arnie. Only a hundred. Maybe only a hundred. But I know that so often we just say, you know what, I'm, I'm just too busy to come to church, so I'm just going to pick up a podcast. I'm just going to watch a video from here or just have it in the background. But the reality is every single one of us has the exact same number of hours in our weeks. And much of the time, our too busy excuses, they reveal something in our hearts. And let me, let me say this with, with the tenderness of your pastor who loves you, but also kind of the prophetic edge that needs to call some things out sometimes. Oftentimes, the excuses that keep us from gathering on Sunday mornings reveal a disobedient heart. That we have misallocated our times. That we have become too busy, not because anyone forced us into it, but because of the decisions we have made. And so as we set our calendar, we decided it's a powder day. That's way more important than Jesus. We've decided it's going to be cold next week. I should go snowshoeing today. We've decided, you know, hockey is important for my kids. He's going to be the next Connor McDavid. There's not going to be another one. Like, right? Like, we have decided these things. And so often, our I'm just too busy reveals a disobedient heart. But one writer encourages us the other way. Instead of searching for an excuse, Christians should be doing everything within their power to meet together. I know there are times when we can't get here. I know sometimes the car doesn't start. I know sometimes we're snowed in. I know sometimes we have to work. I, I, I know sometimes we're sick. So, all the things. I know the good excuses. But so often our excuses aren't actually the good ones. We can drum them up in our minds to think they're good. But, And I'm speaking to myself here too. Christians should be doing everything within their power to meet together, not only because they need to be fed by the preaching of God's word, but also because it's part of the faith to stir up fellow believers to love and good works. Let me tell you, following Jesus is worth it. Blocking out Sunday mornings to be together, despite whatever else you might be missing, is worth it. Jesus has done the work to make it worth it. He has kept and continues to keep all his promises. And so we hold fast. We cling to those promises. And we look forward to the day of the Lord that is approaching. See, one day, every one of our lives on this earth will end, and we will stand face to face with him. And he'll ask, did you follow me? And how we answer that question affects our eternity. And so church, again, with with the love of your pastor, draw near to God. Enter his sanctuary with boldness, with the things that you think might be too small, with the things that are big things, bring them all. Trust in Jesus' work and what he calls us to. Hold tight to the confession that Jesus is Lord and that he saves. Keep on getting together. Keep on encouraging one another. Keep growing in your faith. 
and keep pointing those around you to Jesus. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you for this new year. Thank you that we could take time today and look back and remind one another of all the ways that you have been faithful. I thank you for the stories that we heard of, of, of things, of big things and little things, how you spoke through big things and little things, how you, you moved and, and organized and, and, and showed yourself again to be sovereign over, over even uh, rentals and family gatherings and all the things. We thank you for that. I pray that this morning, Jesus, we would cling to your work. Cling to your word. Thank you that you came those 2,000 years ago, were born into this world, not into pomp and circumstance, but into poverty. Thank you that you lived, uh, you lived out your days on this earth, walking in the, the ways we walk, being tempted by the things we're tempted in, and yet you were without sin. And thank you that you gave up your life to pay the price for our sin that your blood shed on the cross was the once-for-all final sacrifice so that we can enter the presence of God. And we can be called sons and daughters of the King of kings and Lord of lords. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would continue to, to work in our lives, to search our hearts, to point out anything that, that's not of you, and give us the courage and boldness to admit those things, to confess those things, and to repent of them and turn back to you. Jesus, thank you that you love us and that you are for us. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.